Along with Pastor Shane, I welcome everyone to worship and invite you to open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, today, as we consider verses 14 to 16, we're beginning a new section in the book which speaks of Jesus as the better priest. And in the next several chapters, we'll see that theme consistently. Now, in commenting on Hebrews 4, 1 to 13, leading up to our passage this morning, um, you may remember that we saw a severe warning to us to be careful that we do not fall away, that we do not fail to enter into the rest of God. In talking about the contrast of those verses with our verses this morning, Martin Luther said, after terrifying us, the apostle now comforts us. And I think that's a beautiful contrast for Hebrews chapter 4. First, the writer terrifies us uh, of the prospect of falling away. And then in verses 14 to 16, he comforts us and motivates us in a positive way to persevere in our faith through Jesus Christ, who is our great and compassionate high priest. Now, this short and profound passage has two focal points through two exhortations. First of all, let us hold fast our confession, and then it ends with let us draw near to the throne of grace. And in between, there are all these words and phrases which are designed to buttress our understanding of these two great exhortations in our life with Jesus Christ. Uh, with that introduction, would you please now hear this reading of God's holy scripture, Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, believing and drawing near to you can be hard at times in our Christian experience. Difficult situations sometimes give us trouble in resting in your love. So through this, your inspired and inerrant word, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that by the Spirit you would apply this truth to our hearts. Encourage us that we may trust and draw near to you in confidence to the throne of grace. Through our great and compassionate High Priest Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, the Lord God has given us the book of Hebrews in many ways to help us persevere in the faith. The book is designed to help us meet the various challenges to living the Christian life. Over and over again, God, by His Spirit, directs us to the only sure foundation, the only source of power for living the Christian life, which is Jesus Christ Himself with His supremacy and His sufficiency. Jesus is superior to the angels, that's in Hebrews 1 and 2. He is superior to Moses, Hebrews 3. He is superior to Joshua, this we saw earlier in Hebrews chapter 4. And as we come to the end of Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews begins to demonstrate that Christ is also superior to the Old Testament high priest. 
Jesus is better than anything in all of creation, and He alone is worthy of our worship, our trust, and our devotion. Now, as we heard last Sunday from Hebrews 12, 4, 12, and 13, we embrace the gift of God's Word. Like a sharp, double-edged sword, it penetrates and cuts to the innermost center of our human soul. Nothing is hidden in the human heart that is not revealed by the Word of God. Nothing is left unexposed to its penetrating light. Everything is open and laid bare to the eyes of the Lord God, for the Word of God exposes our depravity, the root of our sin and our need for our Savior. So the question as we turn to these encouraging verses, has the Word of God pierced you? Has it penetrated into your innermost being? Has it exposed your heart and your need for Jesus? No word of man can do that. The same word that brings conviction also brings to us promises of God's great provision. The word of God assures the believer that none of those who are really saved shall miss the perfect and eternal rest that God has provided for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, is our great and compassionate high priest. He provides for us a supreme motive for holding fast to our confession of faith in Him, which is where our verses begin this morning in verse 14. Here again, this one verse. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. You know, we can say many things about God, and one thing for sure is that our God is a loving God. In John chapter 4, the Apostle John clearly and simply states that God is love. For those who know the love of God, His love compels us to share His love with others. And God's love, of course, is distinctive. He will go to whatever lengths, He will do whatever is necessary to express His love to His people. In fact, God's love demands it. For love draws the object of love to its author. And God is making a way for people to come near to Him. This is so distinctive in our faith that the Lord God Almighty saves sinners not just from His wrath, but also unto Himself. Yet here's the problem. We have sinned and we have re rebelled against Him. And one reason that so many Christians do not appreciate, as we should, the love of God is that we have not appreciated as we ought what has separated us from God, what has provoked Him, which, of course, is our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. God's wrath, wrath is directed against it. Yet sometimes we don't take sin seriously enough. And we forget that our relationship with God before Jesus Christ is a relationship which begins with separation from a holy God because of our sin. That is what the Bible teaches us. So the question is, what do you do when somebody is really angry with you? Well, the answer is, if you desire a reconciled relationship, you get help from a third party for the sake of restoring that relationship. God himself knows that truth full well. We are at enmity with God because of our sin and we need help. So, dear friends, God is a God of love who hates sin. What does he do? He brings to us a third party, a mediator, to serve as the negotiator between himself and us as his people. He brings to us a priest. 
Well, what does a priest do? Well, a priest negotiates, a priest mediates, and a priest represents the people of God before God Himself. In the Old Testament, if you recall, God called one whole tribe out of the twelve, the tribe of Levi, to be priests, to stand before God and the people. They were set apart to make special sacrifices for their and the sins of God's people. What a great gift for reconciliation. And you'll recall also that among the tribe of Levi, there was one family, the family of Aaron. And from Aaron's family would come the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. He would take a bull and sacrifice it on the Day of Atonement. And of course, the Old Testament high priest was not sinless. So when he would go before the throne of God, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin. For he knew that all men and women are sinners including high priests and pastors. Yet the key is this. The priest was appointed by God because of God's love to have a reconciled relationship with His people, the objects of His love. That's where Jesus Christ comes to us as the great high priest, as God's perfect provision with three key phrases in verse 14. First, our high priest is great. We have a superlative high priest that is greater than any other high priest that has gone before. For Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience with no sin. He offers a perfect sacrifice himself. His own blood shed on the cross. And unlike the blood of bulls and goats, Jesus gave the perfect, completed, final sacrifice. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10. He is pierced himself once for all, for all the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Dear family of God, we are covered by his blood, which is perfect and complete. The second phrase here, though, is God has gone through the heavens. Now think of this. As you know, once a year, the high priest of Israel was to pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies alone, sprinkle the blood of atonement on the mercy seat, and then come back out. Unlike the high priest of Israel, Jesus, though, has passed through the heavens. His sacrifice is the real sacrifice where he has entered into the heavenly Holy of Holies. He has established forever a restoration of fellowship between God and his people, For after providing purification for our sins upon the cross, Christ ascended and passed through the heavens in the very presence of God. No other high priest ever did that. This is a sign again of Christ's unique position to minister for us. There's a final phrase here is that Jesus is the Son of God. The writer of Hebrews boldly affirms that our Lord Jesus Christ is a priest both human and divine. He is deity. He is the Son of God. He is uniquely qualified as the God-man. From 1 Timothy 2, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Praise God. Jesus is the great high priest. His priestly work took Him into the heavenly holy of holies. And He is the Son of God. For all of these reasons, the author of Hebrews is showing us that we have great reason to be confident in exceeding greatness of Christ's priesthood. Now what difference does all this make, you may wonder? 
Well, dear family, it makes all the difference for your eternal life. You will not enjoy the presence of holy God without the high priesthood of Jesus. Experience His love and grace and receive the appointed love of God by the appointed way that He offers it. There are those who try all sorts of ways to enter into the presence of God, but only the great high priest can save you. So we are to humble ourselves and depend upon Christ as God's perfect provision. So how do we respond? Well, here at the end of verse 14, we are told, let us hold fast our confession. Now, to hold fast means that we are to cling, to grasp tightly without letting go. So we hold on to our confession with every bit of strength that we have, feeling as if your life depends upon it, for it does. That is what this verse tells me to do with my faith, to hold firmly, to cling onto it, to not let it go. And then we are reminded what this faith is by way of our confession. Our confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our God and Savior. The author is saying to us in light of who Jesus Christ is, please, please do not forsake your confession that is your God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please do not leave the Savior and try anything else. Why in the world would you want to leave the Savior and add something to Him or put something in His place? He's basically asking us, can you imagine a greater Savior than the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest? For because of His greatness, the perfection of Christ, He becomes a motivation to hold fast our confession no matter what circumstances we find ourselves. With these blessings of our great and compassionate high priest, first of all, we hold fast our confession. And secondly, we need to see his heart. We need to know his humanity. That is where verse 15 takes us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I love this. From being encouraged by the greatness of our high priest, the author of Hebrews tells us that our great and compassionate high priest is able to sympathize with you and with me. He understands our weaknesses. The same Jesus who is the Son of God, the same Jesus who is the great high priest, the same Jesus who parted the heavens and went into the heavenly holy of, holings, holy, holy of holies, He is able to sympathize with us in all of our struggles. Jesus knows our struggles because He has been here. He has compassion. He has sensitivity. He has empathy. And stunningly, the author goes on to say in verse 15 that Jesus not only sympathizes with our weaknesses, He also understands our temptations. For Christ is the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now the fact that Jesus has been in every respect tempted as we are is meant, meant to answer these questions. How can Jesus truly empathize with me? 
How can the exalted divine Savior be sympathetic with me in the struggles that I go through day to day? How can Christ, the glorious, obedient high priest, sympathize with our weaknesses and know our struggles with sin and struggling? There is a biblical answer. And the biblical answer is simply this. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Now, to help us understand the temptations of Christ, the author of Hebrews gives several clues throughout his book. And the key is, and this is important, he connects the temptations of Christ with his sufferings and with his obedience. Listen for this. Remember back in Hebrews 2, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then when we move forward to Hebrews chapter 5, we are told that Jesus learned obedience from his sufferings. This is Hebrews 5 beginning at verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So again, what is key? Christ's temptations, his obedience, and his suffering are all connected Our Lord's obedience was not an easy obedience. His temptation and his obedience cost him dearly. And that's what allows him to empathize and to sympathize with you and with me. Now to sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations, we really need to consider two aspects of Christ's suffering. First, our great and compassionate high priest has suffered with us. Now this is fairly straightforward. While Jesus was fully human, he experienced life just like we do. He got hungry. He became tired. He got frustrated with people. He laughed. He cried. He loved people. He was used by people. He was hurt by people. He was misunderstood by those closest to him. He was limited to time and to space just as we are. There are so many points of contact when we compare our sufferings and temptations of Jesus and ours as a human being. Jesus knew what it meant to be cold. He knew what it meant to be burning with heat. He knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty, probably beyond that which most of us have ever experienced He knew what it was to be without a place to lay his head. And he knew what it was to have anguish in his soul, to feel emotions of fear and sorrow. We can think of it this way. From the very manger all the way to his ministry in Gethsemane, to the darkness of the cross, the temptations of Jesus get larger and larger. The stress, the pressure. He was indeed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Nevertheless, sometimes we all may be tempted to think that Christ can really not understand 
my particular situation. For instance, you may be a parent of a child and you say, well, the Lord Jesus never had to deal with a two-year-old son. Or you may say the Lord Jesus never knew what it was like to be married to my husband or to my wife. Or you can fill in the blanks and say, how can Jesus sympathize me with me when I'm certain that he didn't have some of the same experiences in his human experience that we have now had? Well, there is a biblical answer. It is there. It is precisely at the point of discontinuity between his experience and your experience that establishes his ability to be sympathetic with you in every circumstance. This brings us to the second perspective of Christ's suffering as our great and compassionate high priest. For he has not only suffered with us, he has suffered for us. His suffering for us is the point of discontinuity between our experience and his experience. And it gives him the ability to sympathize with us in every circumstance. You and I have never experienced what it is to suffer for the sins of all of God's people. Parents parents sometimes know what it is to suffer on behalf of their children. And spouses sometimes know what it is to suffer on behalf of the one whom they love as their spouse. There are things of our human experience where we relate to vicarious suffering on behalf of others. Suffering, though, for us. Jesus' experience transcends our own experiences. There is the painful work on the cross. His physical pain of being nailed to the cross. The pain of trying to catch a breath and hoist himself up upon his nailed arms in order to catch his next breath. It is horrifying to think of those things. Yet the horror of the cross is beyond Christ's physical pain. The true horror of the cross is that Christ experiences the wrath of his Father. Christ bore the wrath and curse that we deserve to bear for our sin. The Son, the Lord of glory, the Prince of peace, He and He alone bore the punishment of His Father as the propitiation for our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve to bear because of our sinful hearts and lives. Because of Christ and His work upon the cross, we need not bear the wrath of God against us. For Jesus became a curse for us. He was cut off from His people. He was cut off from His God. And that was all for you and for me. Note at the close of verse 15, this Jesus also was without sin. Even though He was tempted, Jesus did not give in. He remained true to his identity as a son of God. He knew the purposes for his suffering. He knew that God's plan and his suffering were absolutely necessary for us to be reconciled to God through his blood. So dear family, in our darkest hours, in our blackest nights, and in our times when our sorrow and our tribulation seem to overwhelm us, when we feel as if the Lord cannot hear our cries, please remember that none of us have a clue where 
our sinless Savior, the sinless Son of God, dying for the sins of His people, actually what He did for us. We have no idea. Except to praise God for the sinless life, the death and the resurrection of our Savior for our salvation. To praise God that we may trust Jesus to bear our sin and our pain to reconcile us to God the Father forevermore. Sometimes we may go several days and suddenly realize that we haven't been walking in fellowship with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know that I have. The saddest thing is it will be several days, though, before we catch ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ, though, has been going out and coming in with His Father from all eternity, and suddenly there comes this cry from the cross, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Only our Lord Jesus Christ knows what that is like and His experience enables Him, please hear this, to sympathize with us in every single circumstance. His experience transcends any experience of temptation, suffering, pain, and sorrow in this life that you and I will ever experience. Dear family, I do not mean to diminish your suffering. However, I do mean to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, who is always standing in heaven between us and what we deserve as our great and compassionate high priest. Why is this so important? Well, because Jesus is calling all of us to trust Him with all of life, including our pain, our struggles, our temptations, and our eternal salvation. Clinging to someone who understands gives us comfort and encouragement. That's why relationships with one another is so important. When I'm struggling with something and need help, I want to walk with someone who has been through it and has overcome or is overcoming the problem. I want to walk with someone who has more wisdom and experience than I have. I want to talk with someone who can help me objectively to see what I face and who will help me. And here's though the wonderful truth. Jesus Christ is that perfect person above all others. For He understands our weaknesses and temptations, and He does not allow us to use our weaknesses as an excuse. Sometimes, if I'm honest, we use our weaknesses to excuse ourselves from doing the right or responsible thing. Learning that we have weaknesses, though, can be liberating because we finally understand why, be, but the way, why we behave the way we behave. However, if we're not careful, we will begin to use our weaknesses as an excuse not to do what God is calling us to do. So he is calling us instead of clinging to the one who is greater than our weaknesses. We are to cling to him, not our weaknesses, so that we would feel safe in him. So what again are we to do? We are to repent. We are to return to turn from our sin. We are to cling to Jesus Himself. We are to follow our great and compassionate High Priest who gives us grace as we hold fast our confession as we know His heart of sympathy. And finally, in verse 16, we are to draw near to the throne of grace.
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In prayer, Jesus calls us to approach Him boldly because of the kind of Savior that He is. We are invited to pray with freedom, with great freedom and boldness to our God. It makes me smile because this exhortation would have boggled the minds of the saints of the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. You remember the scene. Moses, you and the elders come forward, but tell the people to keep away from the mountain because if they or their animal touch the mountain, they will be struck down. And remember the command about the Ark of the Covenant? No one touches the Ark. Only the specified Levites may carry the Ark with a pole. If anyone touches the Ark, they will be struck down just like Uzzah. And now we are being told to approach the throne of grace boldly. What a change. What's the reason? Well, it's because Jesus Christ is our great and compassionate high priest. His priesthood establishes a real fellowship, a true relationship between God and His people. The old covenant priests could only shadow and foreshadow what that fellowship You know, sometimes our expectations of judgment and punishment, they keep us from coming to God's throne. We almost expect a holy fire, a righteous anger, guilt, a reaction that we, quite frankly, deserve. But that is not what we find. For Jesus, our great high priest, identifies, he sympathizes with us. There is nothing that you have done, thought, or left undone that is beyond the reach of His mercy and His grace. O family of God, I urge you not to hold back any longer. Rather, come before God's throne with confidence. He will meet each of us in our times of need. One thing I long for in this congregation and I long for it with all of my heart, is that we be a people who know what it is to go boldly and passionately and energetically to the throne of grace because we know the wonders of Christ's love. Like little children running into the arms of their father, may we come boldly into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and find help in our time of need. The Word tells us that He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. Rather, Christ will bring you into God's presence and He will put us all back together. Don't miss the last words of verse 16. What do you find when you come to the throne of grace where Jesus, the Son of God's God reigns. What will you find when you come to the Savior who invites you to come to Him to find rest? You will receive mercy and grace to help. You're going to get the help that you need. Oh, dear family, that is mercy. You're going to get favor that you don't deserve. Oh, dear family, that is grace. You receive the help that you need. You'll receive the favor that all of us don't deserve. 
Dear family, as the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, please know that there is no body like Jesus Christ. So hold fast to Jesus as your God and Savior. Draw near to God and receive His grace and His mercy. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would work its truth deep into our hearts so that we would believe it, and that with confidence that we would cling to Jesus Christ and draw near to You because You have dealt with our sins at the cross, that we know that You will never leave us nor forsake us. We praise You that You'll always give us the help that we need and give us blessings that we would never, ever deserve. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.